The Lord really uh, encouraged me this morning during worship, but something that really stood out to me, um, obviously we did not orchestrate this, but Mickey Lana shared a passage from Isaiah 6, and then we immediately sang a song that was based on Isaiah 6. I don't know if you realize that. Um, When I'm standing in your glory, I'll be glad I said, I think this is a quote, Uh, it's not, it's a pretty good paraphrase anyway. I'll be glad I said, Lord, here am I, send me. That's what Isaiah said. Lord, here am I, send me. And when the Lord filled his mouth, the words were, your hearts are hard, they're calloused, you know, let me change, let me heal your heart. So that was the, that was the word that was given to Isaiah. And we're going through a series entitled Salt and Light. How do we be salt and light? See, salt impacts whatever salt is sprinkled on, okay? It preserves it. It makes it taste better, more flavorful. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And then he immediately in the Sermon on the Mount said, you're also the light of the world. You know, when a city set on a hill, it it can't be hidden. It's right there. And, And you are the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He lives in us, and thereby we are the light of the world. And that light means the things that we say and the things that we do so that those who see your good works will do what? Glorify God in heaven. And so the way, what you say and how you live your life, being the light of the world, is to impact the people around you. I mean, you, you may not be a preacher like Jesus. I'm not. You may not be a preacher like Jesus. That's fine. But you can speak. You can share your testimony. You can, you can serve them. You can love them. You can find ways through prayer. That I believe the Spirit will reveal some of these things to you. How you can bless and minister and love others and have compassion on them. Amen? So we're going to continue in this series. And to, last week we talked, uh, the, 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 the title of the sermon was something I just never do. And I, I entitled it a Greek word. And I told you why I did that. Can anyone tell me that one Greek word? Can, you, can anybody remember? It is talenta. There we go. Talenta. And now we translate that talents. That, and that's, but when we did that, you know, like hundred, literally hundreds of years ago, my personal opinion is we made a mistake, and, and our talents are not the talenta that Jesus was talking about. That's unfortunate. But the talenta that Jesus was talking about were those opportunities and those resources that God gives us, whereby our intelligence, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our character, the things that God, the, the, the internal things that we have, we take those resources and opportunities and use them for his kingdom. And so we're all going to be accountable for the things that God has deposited in our heart and then how we are using those, how we are, how we are implementing those to use the opportunities and the resources he gives us to impact those around us. And that's how we can be salt and light. So this morning, I want to just get really practical. I want to take one of those resources Couple it with many opportunities that we're going to see in the scriptures to see how Jesus and the church impacted the people around them. All right? Now, this, this is very practical in my own personal life. 
Because one of the things Meredith and I did when we, before we purchased a home was say, Lord, we're, we're going to purchase this home. And we want this home to be used for your glory, however you want to do it. The Lord blessed us as we had child number five with a, a much larger home. Um, it actually had a, a bonus room that we used for homeschooling and many bedrooms. And we just said, okay, Lord, you gave us this house to be able to practice hospitality and to be able to minister to people in our home. So that's what we're going to do. This is your home. Now show us how we're to use it for the advancement of your kingdom, how to love and have compassion on people. I can remember, and, and I've mentioned the story to you, the first time we ever had Mickey Lana over, that was just a few years ago. Um, she was 18 then, before she got married and had kids, and we just had her over. She was the assistant ballet teacher for our two oldest kids. At the, well, three oldest, I get three, three children at the time. We, we actually had only three children at that time, I believe. And so we have her into our home, and we just, we're just family. And the Spirit of God began to minister to her. I walk back into the room, and she's crying, and she's talking with Meredith. And I'm, of course, thinking, oh, my goodness, I said something again. I'm going to need to apologize. And then she, I asked her why she was crying, and, and, and she just talked about what she experienced that evening in, in the love of Jesus. And, and it was just, it was so simple. We just had her over, had, you know, dinner, and loved on our kids, loved on her, and we were just family. And I remember in that very same room where we were talking, um, we had another couple over and, and we were praying over the woman. And you know this lady, her name's Mary, Mary Smith. And she just said, you know, so Stephen and I were having children. And as we were, okay, we're going to pray. And it's like right before we start praying for it, the Spirit of God stops me and he puts a question in my mind that I'm supposed to ask her. Now, I don't know Mary real well. This, this, so this is like a long, long, long time ago. And the question was this, do you have bitterness in your heart? And I'm, I'm wrestling like in a second, okay, because I, I have to share this before we pray. I don't know this woman and you're wanting me to ask her if she has bitterness in her heart. It's a bit forward, Lord. And so the Lord kind of kicked, gave me a swift kick in the pants and, and I asked the question. And she took five minutes and began to explain, explain how bitterness had crept into her heart and she was a absolute prisoner to bitterness. And I just said, Mary, these people who have hurt you, you've got to forgive them. And so we just let her lead in prayer, and then she prayed for forgiveness. And then my wife and I prayed for her, and two weeks later, she got pregnant. Within a month after that, my wife got pregnant. So whenever we pray for ladies to have babies, my wife does not pray for them anymore. We're 60 years now. She doesn't pray for them anymore. So, <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so right now. So she's open to praying. You know, we're past, past childbearing years, so she's, she's willing to pray for you now. But the truth is that, that all of that just happened in our home, and it was so simple. And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' life, and then real briefly at the life of the church, and the resource that God, to my knowledge, has given all of us is a roof, or a roof over our head. And, and as we go through this, it's not just going to be our home, whether you're renting or owning, but it is that, this is just an example, that resource that God has given you, and we're going to see in the life of Jesus that he was invited into homes and he used it for ministry. So 
I want us to see, okay, this is, again, this is an example of a resource. But by the end, I want us to say, okay, God, here's my home, but here's all of my resources. And what I learned this morning, how can I use them to advance your kingdom? How can I be salt? And like, so this morning, I hope is going to be just super practical. Super, how can we do this thing called being the salt of the earth and being the light of the world? So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 113. Or you can just listen, because I'm not going to go through the whole psalm. I'm just going to read a few verses. And he says, referring to God, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Some of you can relate already. And if you're not financially poor, you feel poor in resource, some other resources, or you're needy in some other way, and you can immediately relate to this. This is what he said. He seats them, the poor, the needy, with princes, with princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. God's heart is that he takes you from this place of need to a place of, at least the, print, the idea of princes is not necessarily rulership as much as a place from which you can impact people. So he talks about princes. What a staunch contrast between poor and needy and a prince. But the idea is God lifts those who are needy to a place where they meet needs. Now for the woman... God actually settles her in a home, but she's barren. So physically, she can't have children. But God steps in, and he upends that and turns it all around, and now she has children. Now, granted, God may not bless you with physical children. But see, as we're talking about salt and light, my prayer is that God, because some of you are single, and I'm not praying that you have children right now, but God wants to give you spiritual children. God wants to... Sign of the cross. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm not. Yeah. But God wants to give you, may God wants to give you spiritual children. God wants to use, may God wants to use you to spiritually generate children. In other words, to love on them, to, to as, as God would use you to lead them to Jesus. Paul did this with Timothy, and then he mentored him and raised him up as an apostle, Acts 16 and on. That God would use you as a spiritual mother and spiritual father in this generation. I don't care, Saxon's turning 22 in about two weeks, right? No, no, exactly two weeks. And at 22, Saxon, you can be a spiritual dad. And I just want that to resonate in your heart this morning. I want it to beat in your heart. I want you to say, God, how can I minister to people and impact our my generation so that I can be like that? Now, maybe not a woman settled in her home, but we are going to be looking at the concept of home. But I want you to think, okay, God, how can I use these resources? And, and I, my prayer is may God plant such a longing and a desire in your heart to use all of the talent that he gives you for his kingdom. Amen? Okay, so turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to settle down here for a little bit. Luke 14. 
I am going to be talking a bit about hospitality because um, my, my example this morning is the home and how um, Jesus ministered in homes. Uh, he probably stayed with Peter and his wife for a time. We don't know this for sure, but it appears that way when he lived in Capernaum. He was born and raised in what city? Nazareth, right? So then when he began his ministry, he moved to Capernaum and, and very probably didn't own his own home. Though It's possible he, he probably though stayed with Peter and his, his wife. Um, and from there, he ministered to people. But then he was also invited into homes. This is going to be an, op- this is an example, Luke 14, in which he is invited into someone's home. And I want to see, what does Jesus do? And, and my prayer is that as much as we put Jesus on a pedestal, Jesus also came to say to you, and you can do this too. I'm not the only one. You can do this too. Now, you're not going to die on a cross and be raised from the dead for this. You're not going to do that. But you, his example here, you can do this. To some degree, you can do this. Are you, are you ready? I'm going to read it to you now. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, religious leader, prominent religious leader of his day, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked, he, it's not that he had a tendency to drop things, by the way. He had a he, dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So let's be aware, this is Saturday, it's the Sabbath. But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed Now, understand that this probably takes place outside or at least on the way to the Pharisee's house because he then sends this man away. I'm not convinced that the man with dropsy was invited to the dinner party, so Jesus probably encountered him so the Pharisees are walking with him and does something amazing. But now he's in the home and he sees how people are are, are taking their seats. Listen. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table... He told them a parable. When someone invites you into a, uh, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invite both of, excuse me, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. And you say, ouch. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you were invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, now he's getting really personal here, to the prominent Pharisee, this is what Jesus said. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. 
As a matter of fact, don't even invite your fellow Pharisees. I added that, sorry. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He really waxed religious and spiritual at this point. And, and, and it's a truth. We will be blessed. But Jesus goes on. He replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master when the owner of the house, then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus has already used these four descriptive terms earlier. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out into the roads and country line, country lanes and make them or compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get to taste my banquet. Jesus does something interesting. While he is on the way, it appears, to this prominent Pharisee's house, and he is probably walking with other Pharisees, it may be that he just had the opportunity to speak at the synagogue and bring the word. That's very possible. So now, being a guest speaker, he's being invited to this prominent Pharisee's home, and on the way, understanding it's Sabbath and healing is considered a creative act. And so the Jews had forbidden healing on the day of Sabbath. <laughs> Go figure, right? Jesus is stopped by this man with dropsy. He is sick. And before he heals him, he tests those around him, very specifically the Pharisees. So is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath, and they're just kind of standing back. Are you serious? Of course it's not, they're thinking, but they're not going to say it because they know that Jesus is about to heal the man. I'm mentioning this because Jesus seizes an opportunity that is right there before him. Now, I'm not suggesting that when you're invited to someone's house and you see someone by the side of the road that you have to pull over and pray for them and the promises that God will heal them and then continue on your way. I mean, God may do that. I'm just simply saying Jesus has an appointment and on the way there is an opportunity. Remember, what are the talenta? They would be opportunities and resources, things that God gives us. So here is an, here's a thing that the Father gave him and so he heals him. 
And this ruffles their feathers. When he asks again, if you have a son or a, uh, an ox, and it falls into a pit, on the Sabbath, aren't you, you going to help him out? Or are you going to say, hey, son, here's a pillow, here's a blanket, have a good night. I don't think so. You're going to help him out, even though it's on the Sabbath. But that is work. And Jesus' point is, even though we are not to work on the Sabbath, Pharisees, can't you see that when you are serving in love, you can do that every day? The purpose of the Sabbath isn't to bar you from loving people. Exact opposite. And so he challenges them, but he takes the opportunity to minister this way. Jesus then steps into the man's house. He is invited into the man's home. Now, here's something that I just did a little study on. I had never learned this. I had never noticed it, I guess. But Luke purposely focuses throughout his gospel on Jesus' ministry in homes. Are you aware of that? Far more than any other gospel. I'm going to quickly walk you through these opportunities. And it's not always his home. When he heals, heals the paralytic, I'm going to mention that, it may well be the very home in which he is staying, okay? Peter's home. And I can only imagine when they're digging the roof up, Peter's thinking, Jesus, hello, do something. But regardless, Jesus is ministering sometimes in that home, but more than likely as a single man in other people's homes. Okay? So I'm just, I'm going to run through this. I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 4, Peter is invited in, excuse me, Jesus is invited into Peter's home and Jesus heals his mother-in-law. In Luke chapter 5, the paralytic that I just mentioned, let down through the roof, Jesus is teaching and he heals him. It happens in a home. In that very same chapter, he is invited to Matthew's what? House. Not his place of business, but his house. And, and Matthew has a party. And, all, and, and many other tax collectors and sinners were invited to this party, and Jesus comes. And he tells us why he comes. He tells it to the Pharisees. Because I didn't come to rescue those who think that they're righteous. <clears throat> like <clears throat> you, <clears throat> but to those who recognize that they don't have a relationship with God because of their sin. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who have a fractured relationship or no relationship with God at all. Here's another time, number four example. In Luke 7, again, he's at, a, he's at a Pharisee's house and a sinful woman finds herself coming into the home. And I, I can't figure this out. How a sinful woman, probably a prostitute, and that might be Luke's euphemism for prostitutes, a sinful woman who had more than likely had an encounter with Jesus, who had, who had preached the gospel, she's repenting, and now she is so grateful she comes in and anoints Jesus' feet and demonstrates honor to him. And Jesus uses that opportunity to teach, to teach this Pharisee and those gathered there around the table. In Luke 8, Jesus' family comes to Jesus 
and they are said to be standing outside. That means Jesus is where? Inside. More than likely inside a house while he's teaching those around him. He's teaching. In Luke chapter 8, Jairus approaches Jesus and invites him to his house, but he's not going to be having a party. He invites him to Jesus. He invites Jesus to his house because his daughter is about to die. And even before they enter the house, Jairus is told, your daughter's already dead. Don't trouble Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, just have faith. Just have faith. Jesus enters into their house, takes Peter, James, and John with him, or, or Peter and John with him, and he goes into the house with the mom and dad, Jairus and his wife, and there is the woman, the, the little girl. She's 12 years old. She has already died. And Jesus speaks that word that he spoke in Genesis 1 of life, and she was raised from the dead. And Scripture says this in Luke, her spirit returned. That happened in a home. In Luke 10, the disciples are told to go to a house of a man of peace and stay there. And that would be their base for mission outreach in that city. In Luke 10, again, Jesus is found at Martha's house with Mary sitting at his feet. And Jesus is teaching. In Luke 11, Jesus again is at a Pharisee's house, it says. There's no name given. And he does something that I personally would have trouble doing. Maybe it's because there's a bit of cowardice in me. I don't know. But Jesus begins to rebuke the Pharisees. And he gives six woes. Woe to you, Pharisees. A teacher in the law says, <clears throat> Jesus, hang on. I mean, you realize that what you're saying is, you're saying it to us, right? And Jesus, in his very eloquent Aramaic, says, Bingo! Yes! I am speaking to you. If you see yourself in what I'm saying, I'm speaking to you. Jesus was confrontative in this Pharisee's house and bringing a firm word of rebuke. Now, I don't know if he was ever invited back to this man's house or not, but he used that opportunity to speak boldly. In Luke chapter 14, I'm not done. In Luke chapter 14, he's invited to another Pharisee's house that I just read. No name is given, but he brings a teaching. And I'm not going to necessarily say a rebuke. We're going to look at that when he speaks to the host, but he speaks firmly. And he also heals. Jesus does ministry. Luke 19, he's invited to Zacchaeus's house. Okay, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus's house. Some of you singles, write that down. Invite myself to someone's house this week. All right. <laughs> years and years ago, years and years ago, there was, a, there was a single brother, recent convert, and we, had, we have an open door policy. He managed to show up at our home several times a week at dinner time. And I, I said, brother, I, I just want you to know, because I told Meredith I was going to need to do this. And she didn't like it, but I said, I, I need to help him. 
So you can imagine what I said. I said, brother, I want you to know we love you so much. We, are so, we just love having you over. We love having you over for dinner. But understand that maybe it would be better for you to come at maybe like 7 o'clock rather than 6 when we're sitting down. I'm, I'm just suggesting. And so do you understand what I'm saying? And I wanted to be as gracious as he said, go, oh, Pastor Mike, I get it. Yeah. So we, have, we still had a great relationship. To this day, we still have a great relationship with this brother. He's not in the church, by the way, but he goes to another church, and, and we pray God is blessing him and encouraging him. But sometimes, you know, I, I just needed to take that opportunity in my home to, to just bring that word of encouragement to him, okay? And, and he took it really well, and he learned. He grew from it. All right. So he, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, and he taught, and Zacchaeus repented. In Luke 22, the Last Supper is held in a guest room. The Greek word there is kataluma. It's a guest room. I mentioned that for just for a reason I'll share with you in a moment. The Lord's Supper took place in a home, the guest room of a home. That's 12 instances that Luke gives that Jesus ministered in a home. There's two others. Bear with me. Number one, didn't happen with Jesus. Mary well, I guess maybe it did because he was she, he was in his mother's womb. But Mary, three months pregnant, goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth in her home, stays there for three months, and ministers, serves in some capacity with Elizabeth during her pregnancy. So she came to serve. And then lastly, in Luke 2, verse 7, you all know the story. Mary... And G Joseph are looking for a place to stay. It is in a home, a kataluma that they are looking for. But the scripture says there was no room for Jesus. What a challenge. What a commentary on a prophetic commentary on Jesus's ministry in which for so many people, there will be no room. I'm mentioning this to you again because Jesus seizes these opportunities to minister in the home he's staying at or in other people's homes. And, and I have to pause, we have to pause and just ask, why does Jesus do, what is the big deal about a home? When you invite somebody into your home, your goal is not to entertain them, though sometimes they did, but your goal is to, scripturally, when it says practice hospitality, it's not to entertain them, it's to be able to welcome them in and seek to meet their needs. Now, if you want to entertain, that's up to you, but generally entertainment places the focus on what you're doing and not on their needs, and hospitality does that. So when you have people into your home, your goal is to refresh them, to encourage them, to bless them with food, to be able to uh, say maybe thank you to them or to minister to them. Many times, Meredith and my goal when we would have, when we've had people over is somewhere in the conversation, we would generally tend to, this doesn't happen all the time, but generally we move into the family room and it would get a bit more personal. Our kids would, towards the end of the evening, they would go on, and we would minister very personally to this couple or this person. And so when you come into a home, it's not like a stage. People tend to let their hair down. They tend to be real. Meredith and I, there's no pretense. Why? 
We have nothing to show off. We would just have a person into our home. We would love on them. And we would use that as as an opportunity to minister when we're just being Mike and Meredith Curtis. This is just who we are. We're no superstars. We are just like you. But we want you to know we love you. And this is what Jesus does. And he seizes these opportunities in private settings to heal, to teach, and sometimes rebuke. He uses these opportunities to minister to people. Jesus seizes this opportunity. He notices something that's going on and he discovers that as people are coming in, they're taking places of honor. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that would look like, but maybe it would be places next to the, the host. Um, perhaps something such as this, or maybe there's one main table, and then there's a few other smaller tables in a larger room. Maybe it would be something like this. In the main table, that was the place of honor, because that's where the host sat. Much like when you go to a wedding feast, there's generally one table where the wedding party sits, and then everybody else. Can you imagine someone coming in and taking the groom's spot and sitting down and starting to eat, and then the groom has to come up and say, sorry, Mike, you're sitting next to my bride, and I need to eat. That's my dinner, Mike. And Mike, would you mind not sitting here? And and so Jesus tells him a parable. And he tells him, at a wedding feast, don't take the places of honor because now the host has to come to you and humiliate you instead. And here's his point. Have humility. Choose the, the lowest place so that from there you can be elevated. So seek humility. Don't seek honor. Seek humility. And so that's a, that's, that, this is not the message of my sermon, though the Spirit of God may be ministering to some of you with this, but see, be humble. Be humble in your ministry and let God lift you up. And then he, and then he challenges them and he turns to the host and he gives a very personal word to the host. I don't believe that it's a rebuke necessarily, but I'm, I would call it a challenge. And he, in essence, says to the Pharisee, I want you, as, as you're doing something like this, I want you to expand your vision of the kingdom of God. Because I can only imagine that the Pharisee had Jesus over because there was some yearning in his heart, some hunger in his heart, to learn from Jesus. This isn't the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This man has sat under Jesus' teaching before. And so he's inviting Jesus in, and there's, there's some humility. I think he's teachable. He's not like many other Pharisees that walked away and say, hey, we need to find a, a way to kill this man. So Jesus recognizes it. He's sensitive to the situation in the man's heart and he recognizes the situation and he turns to the host and he says, I want you to look around all the people that you've invited. You see, they're your friends. They're your, if you could put it this way, business partners, men in the same profession. You invited other rabbis. You invited prominent people. 
But what if? What if you were to invite those who could never repay you? What if you were to invite the people who would, you know, if they applauded you, yeah, so, because they're not important people. See, people listen to important people, right? But if they're not important people, you know, they're going to thank you, but that's about it. They're probably not going to have you back into their home. There's no repayment here. You know, sometimes we serve for recognition. Sometimes we do things for other people because we're looking for, we want them to think that we're pretty good people. We want them to think well of us. And Jesus is saying to this Pharisee, that type of stuff has no thinking in the kingdom of God. I think, I think Jesus is, is very gracious here, but he uses this opportunity to teach, serve, and bless those who have, they would never be able to repay you. And then a man speaks up and he says, Jesus, blessed is the man who's invited to that great kingdom banquet at the end of the age. And then Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach again. And he talks more about living in the kingdom, and that's why they're blessed. He's agreeing with the man, but he says, now let me tell you why they're blessed. Because they go into the highways and the byways, and they compel people to come in. And I'm going to tell you this. That is what it means to be salt and light. Be desperate, looking, seeking, compelling. It's not a stroll through Central Park. The kingdom of God requires dirt on our knees and calluses on our knees from prayer and seeking God and saying, God, how can I today impact people? And for Jesus being the Son of God constantly in prayer, He so listened to the Father, He only did what the Father did and said what the Father said to Him. And He was that type, He had that type of intimate relationship with the Father. But He was constantly kingdom focused. And I'm just going to encourage you guys, be kingdom focused. Find ways to just serve and bless others. Invite people into your home. But, you know, Saxon was just telling the men that he just gave an example. So I'll kind of brag on him a little bit. Because we're talking about, you know, so how do we befriend? What are some ways to do this that are real practical? And so he said, you know, because he works over at Chick-fil-A. And a little plug for Chick-fil-A, by the way, on the, the call there. But so he works at Chick-fil-A and he says, there's a guy there that needs a ride home. And so when we get off together, I'm, I make it my point. I, I give him a ride home. And the guy's a Christian, and so Saxon, he has some questions in his mind, and he just asks the questions to be able to facilitate this conversation because he's looking for, how can I be salt and light to this guy today? And so he seizes the moment. It doesn't happen in his home. It happens, home, it happens in his car. Okay. And, and, and there's no pretense. Saxon's not up there saying, well, now I need to show him what a godly man I am. That's not his goal, and I doubt he can even talk that way, right? <laughs> but his goal is, I mean, real simply, how can I bless and love on this guy as a brother? And so he takes that opportunity, and, and I imagine he's done it many times. So your home, your home 
may not be a home, it may be a car or a van. or It might, it might be some other place in which people can just be real. There's no pretense. It's just, this is, I'm just doing life. And that's where people tend to be more open. They're not going to give you this. They're going to have conversation. And their hearts are going to be open and more pliable. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see something just so simple. I'm not going to go into great detail. I've, I've preached on this passage many, many times. So this is more a reminder, if nothing else. And it's very simply this. The church in one day grew to 3,000 or over 3,000. These people meet in the temple courts. There's only one temple. But then they also meet in homes. And the Greek phrase here is translated in the NIV, um, in their homes. And it's literally in each home or every home. Sometimes, excuse me, the NIV translates it from house to house. It's a, it's a Greek phrase used four times. And my personal take on that is it's a picture of the house church. Not just any home, but the house church. My purpose of bringing this up is they're meeting in these homes, and there's probably maybe 20 people. So divide 20 into 3,000, and you come up with 150. So there's 150 local churches, house churches, it appears, and they are ministering in homes, maybe 20 people. That's a lot of homes. People are opening up. They get there, and it says they broke bread, so they're having a meal in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts doing two things. They're praising God and they're enjoying the favor of all the people, all the Jews, including those who were antagonistic with Christianity and viewed Jesus as a cult leader. And they may well have been in that very city some 40 plus or seven weeks prior, 50 days ago, saying, crucify him, crucify him. And the way the church is loving each other and doing life together, having all things in common, they shared freely, meeting needs. The result of this is they are enjoying a meal and praising God. They're also enjoying the favor of all the people, not some or most, but all the people, including antagonists to Christianity. Their attention is caught. They are impacted by the salt and light of the early church, meeting in a home, doing life together, kingdom living, and they say, man, that's what life is all about. They've got something right here. They know how to love. It's not all about religious duties and rites and rituals. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Their lives are changed. We can see it. And they're impacted by it. And just like Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, they see their light and glorify their Father in heaven. They're enjoying, these people are enjoying, the church is enjoying the favor of all the people. This is the simplicity, and that's actually a word used in this verse. This is the simplicity of Christianity. Do you see? Where people are real. And in that context of being real, we can minister. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I'm going to be very brief with this. I'm just going to read it and quickly explain and leave it for you. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60. That's not my preaching point, by the way. Over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds. Now, here's my point. Because Paul then extrapolates and he defines what those good deeds are. He lists them. And I want you to see, and I've got it written down here, but I want you to see that these, this is like, these are the good deeds and they're based in the home and they're like with everyone that he mentions, it's, the circle gets a little bigger. We, we call those concentric circles, okay? One circle, another circle as it grows. And this is the woman's ministry, the widow's ministry. This is what she's well known for. She did ministry from her home. First of all, it says that such as bringing up children. And if you've ever done that, wow, is that a full-time ministry, right? But it starts there. In the home, okay, being faith, having one husband, okay, bringing up her children, showing hospitality, having people into her home, ministering to them, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. This is what we're called to. As a matter of fact, you could not be a widow placed on this list in which the church would bless you financially and serving unless this was your lifestyle. Because you had given so much, now the church is going to give back because you're in need. Your husband died. And, and we're going to bless you. Over 60, simply because before that, he figures they could probably find another husband and have financial needs met. But now this is the church's opportunity. We're going to serve, minister, and, and bless you. Okay? And, and, and our heart as a church has always been to help widows, to find out where the needs are. And when, when there's a deficit and when bills can't be paid, we step in, and we've done this many times. And when there's a need, you know, with, over at Leanne's house, you know, there was a need with her, with her property, and she just could not um, get on top of it. And so we just said, it took us like three hours, and we were done. It's not like it sacrificed a year or even days. It was just three hours, and, and we were able to clean that up. Okay, Tim, super awesome job in bringing his lawn equipment to help us out with this. And so we just served. But my point is, Jesus, throughout his ministry, and Luke focuses on this for some reason, he sees these really practical opportunities to love and minister. And I would just want to lay that challenge before you. How can you do this? Perhaps in your home, but for a single, that might be a little bit more difficult or for other circumstances that might be a little bit more difficult, but then find other ways and other places where you can just be real and minister to people. And sometimes maybe it's just going out for a cup of coffee and just being a friend, but loving them and serving them. And if they are not a Christian, you are going into the 
byways, the alleyways, and you're compelling them. And when you're sitting down, you're, you're being a friend to them and you're loving them. And at some point, I want to challenge you to share Jesus with them. And it might be your testimony and how you came to Christ. And throughout the whole hour that you're spending with them, you take five simple minutes and you say, Charlotte, hopefully that's her name, Charlotte, right? And you're saying, can I just, I want to take a few minutes and I just want you to know that I, I follow Jesus and, and, and I want to just take five minutes and tell you my life hasn't always been this way, but when, and you start sharing your testimony. When did you come to Jesus and why did you do that? And this is what you embrace. This is the Jesus that you embrace, like five minutes out of an hour. I can guarantee you there is no one, especially if you're paying for the lunch, no one who's going to tune you out and they will listen. Just be real, be a friend, love on them, but show them Jesus and share Jesus with them. I, I hope this is simple for us and, and, and that the Spirit of God is going to show you this way, just some really simple ways to do this and minister and love on people so that you can be salt and light and impact this generation. Amen, church? Awesome. Can you stand with me? When I'm standing in your glory, I'll be glad I said, Lord, here am I. Send me. That's what this message has been about. How can God send you and use the very and for you to use those very simple opportunities and resources God's given you. So, Father, Lord, we are laboring in your kingdom, seeking to follow you. And this morning, our prayer is this: Lord, show me all those opportunities and resources you've given me. Show them to me. If I got a list of my will, but Father, show me, and then show me, Lord, how I can use them. Show me how to use these opportunities and, and maybe even to create opportunities to be able to see resources that you've given me. I just want to love people. I want to call them to Jesus. I want to point them to him and I want them to turn their eyes to you, Jesus. And then, Father, you do what only you can do and you break up the fallow ground. Spirit of God, you bring the conviction of sin and the conviction of what is truth. And you, Jesus, open their eyes and Spirit of God, may they believe in you and come to Christ. Father, this is our heart. We want to be salt and light in this generation and we want to impact them, Father. We want to see your kingdom spread throughout this world. Start here in my little home, in my little life, in what I can do in your kingdom. Would you show each and every one of us, Father, how very practically we can do this, even this week. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.